I want to ask, can you think of a time in your life, maybe even it was just a moment, where you were thoroughly convinced that God loves you? Uh, not just love in kind of like that abstract, half-hearted, but I mean, God loves you in a passionate, overwhelming way. Have you ever felt that in such a way that it just, it made you full? Paul, uh, right before the passage that we just read, has this prayer that's one of my favorite parts in all of Scripture. And, and that's what he prays for. He, he prays that God would give us the strength, the capacity to take in the love of God. And not to know it in the way that we know like the, the birthday of Abraham Lincoln or the boiling point of water like as a fact. But, but to know the love of God from within. So that we can actually feel that there's a height and a depth and a width and a breadth. We're surrounded by the love and in doing so as we experience that we are made full. That is what God wants for us. That's what we just would have heard if we had just started a few verses earlier. And from that prayer, it's like as Paul gets off of his knees and he opens his eyes and he looks at us having prayed for us. He says, okay, now here's what I want. I want you to live in that love. I want you to live in a way, a new, transformed way, where that love is what defines you. Notice that that's right how it begins in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, I urge you to walk in a way worthy that is fitting with what has happened to you. He wants us to live in a different way where love of God is predominant. We have been talking about the way that he is being, that, that he is calling us from, this, the way that is in our culture, the way in our world, that we have said we're at a point in history where this way isn't working. It's just clear. We all realize things are falling apart. We, you know, like we've, Nick and I have called this the age of alienation. It is a way that is broken. And what we have been speaking of over the last few weeks is that part of the, the love of God, the grace of God, is that he invites us into this new way that is founded upon and infused by this love of God. So because of the love of God in Jesus, we no longer have to be super productive to be worth something. We know that we are loved in our quirkiness and limitation and we can joyfully be as creatures. Because of the love of Jesus, we now are being reconnected to each other and we begin to see the image of God in each other and the glory and, and, and delight in that. Because of the love of God in Jesus, we're being restored to the role that we were meant to have in creation, and we can begin to recognize God's glory through the world around us and to recognize our role as caretakers. All of this is happening because of the great love with which God has loved us. He is inviting us into this new way. And the question I want just to begin with is, if this is all true, and it is, if, if God loves us in this way, if Jesus has redeemed us, if the Spirit is at work in us, leading us into this new way, how come we don't see more of a difference? Why, why do we not see Christians' lives being more transformed if all of this is true? I was reading actually this week, um, 
Tim Keller, who was previously a pastor in Manhattan, uh, was actually writing about this very thing. And here's what he suggests. He, said, he, he suggests, and I think this is interesting, that this relatively common experience of Christian non-transformation, that's what he calls it, he says is largely due to the breakdown in communal Christian formation in our day. He says this breakdown in communal Christian formation leads to at, wor at worst nominal Christianity and even at best shallow individualistic Christianity. Here, here's, here's what he is suggesting. That, that if we are seeing other people not being changed and moving into the way of Jesus, if we are seeing that that is true even of ourselves, Keller suggests perhaps it's not because you're not understanding your relationship with Jesus per rightly. Perhaps it's not a lack of willpower. Perhaps the reason you're not seeing more change is because you're trying to do it on your own. And I want to suggest that is exactly the connection that we see in our passage this morning. So, as we said at the very beginning, Paul says, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner where he's calling you to a way. And, and what does he say right after that? As he's talking about bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace because there is one body. The moment that anyone believes in Jesus, you are united to a body of believers. That's what scripture says. And Paul is saying, for you to walk in this new way, you need to be more deeply connected to each other. Do you want to grow? Do you want to experience the love of God? Do you want more and more to walk in this way of wonder that we're talking about? Paul says, get more connected to your church. Now that, I realize, might sound odd to, to some of us. Some of us, I know, have, have some really difficult background where we have experienced some really painful things through church and, and really we have needed to pull away from that community. And many of us also have been, I think, shaped by kind of the, by the individualism of our culture where there is just kind of this sense that really spiritual growth, my spiritual growth is, is up to me. Give me some instructions, give me a Christian self-help book, maybe give me a cup of coffee and I've got it from there. Like there's this sense that we can do it by ourselves. And Paul says, no. Sure, there might be times where there's a certain community that it's just not healthy to be a part of, but we still need to be part of a church community because that is the way that we actually learn to live the way of Jesus. We do it together. And to understand why that is, maybe it's, I think, helpful just to take a step back and think for a moment about culture, because that's kind of what we're talking about here. By culture, I'm just talking about the human element of our lives. We can talk about the things that people have made. We can talk about the practices that we have together, the way that we understand the world around us. All of this is just kind of the water that we swim in without realizing. It is our culture. And the thing that's important to understand about culture is that culture sets for our thinking the horizons of what is possible. So let me give a few examples. Jennifer and I, for four years, as some of you know, lived in, in Sydney, in Australia. And, and somewhat, I think to my surprise at first, at every day for the weekdays at 10.30, suddenly everything stopped. Doesn't matter whether I was a student or I was working. This was true for Jennifer also when she was working like in the business sector. At 10.30 you stopped and it was time for morning tea. And for the next half hour you were not allowed to talk about work. You certainly couldn't have your notebook computer open. This was a time just to kind of be with each other. And it was weird. And, <laughs> and the thing is, 
we started liking it, but I, I can guarantee that if I were to come back here, like say if I were working, and I know this doesn't really happen anymore, but let's go back a couple years ago and you're actually working amongst other people at a business place. If you said like at 10.30, all right, everybody, let's stop and have a cuppa. They would all look at you strangely, and not just because cuppa is a weird thing to say in America, but because they'd be like, wait a second, you're saying for every day this whole week, we're gonna take a half hour off the whole company? Do you realize how much productivity would be lost in those minutes? It wouldn't even be possible. In Australia, not doing it was viewed as impossible. Here, no one would think of it. Our culture sets the horizons of what is possible. Or to, to take a really ordinary cultural artifact, think of a sidewalk. Our community here has sidewalks everywhere. And what we see, and this is true for our own uh, family, is a lot of people going out on walks, maybe walking the dog or just walking in the evening when it's nice. That's what you do. I've lived before in areas where there aren't sidewalks and people don't walk nearly as much because it just doesn't seem as doable. Our culture sets for us the horizons of what feels possible. To, to use maybe a weightier example, I can think of a time in a conversation with friends, no one from this church, where, where so, they were struggling in their marriage and, and one person told me, you know what, I, I just don't think I can go on with this. I, I'm, I'm unhappy. And how can I go on in a loveless marriage where I am not happy? It's impossible. And let me just say that that very way of putting it is very much of our age. A hundred years ago, that is not how people would think. But for us, the idea of living in a loveless marriage is impossible. Our culture is defining our horizons. If you are a parent of kids in school right now, you, you know this because you have seen your kids having to ask you if they're like in upper elementary school about friends who are transitioning. Or, or you hear stuff about gender that you know you never even had to think about when you were a kid. But the, the horizons of what is possible have changed through TikTok and, and YouTube. Do you see, culture for us defines the horizons of what is possible in terms of a way. And here's why this is important. If that is the case, then as long as we are connected just only to the society that surrounds us, then we will only be able to see possibility in terms of how the world around us sees it. And that will mean that trying to live a different way will not just feel strange, it will feel impossible. As long as our only culture that defines us and shapes us is this culture that we're talking about in the world, then we will inevitably keep on being pulled to the way of the world around us. What we need is a different culture. What we need is a different community that helps us begin to see different possibilities. And that is the collective project. It is to be a community in which the way of Jesus becomes more possible. This is this lengthy passage that we read. The reason we read the whole thing is because this is the project that Paul keeps coming back to in all of chapter 4. After he begins by saying, I want you to walk in a different way, this way of love. Again and again he comes back to this. Live out the unity of Jesus. Here's what you need to do. You need to grow up into maturity as each of you speak the truth in love. As we'll see later on, he talks, here's what it looks like as a community in all of these different ways. This is the communal project, he says. 
We have been talking together, this church, over the last few weeks about this way of wonder that we're called to, and here is when we begin to talk about how we do it. And the way we do it is collectively. The way we do it is by working together to make this way seem more understandable and more attractive and more possible by being a culture that makes that the way we see things. So what does that mean? Well, let me, let me spend the rest of the time this morning trying to just begin to give us a picture of what, what I think this passage is telling us to do, a picture of what this looks like for us collectively to join in this project of helping each other walk in the way of wonder. And I want to start with just a couple ideas that I think we see in this passage of what we need to be if we want to see this take place. And the first thing I think our passage tells us is that for us to be this community of wonder, this community where the way of wonder becomes more possible, we need to be an eccentric community. So, um, so this past, I think it was about a week and a half ago, I was looking up um, the, the origin of the word eccentric because I'm a nerd, so I do these kinds of things. And it was just, I don't know, it's a fun word to me. And, and, and so here's something that I learned. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't. That it actually comes from Ptolemy. Do you remember Ptolemy? He was like over 2,000 years ago. He's the guy who says the earth is the center of the universe. And he figures out how everything else orbits around the earth. But when he was doing these calculations, and he was doing some really careful calculations, he realized that there were a few things that weren't in this concentric circle where Earth is at the middle. Some things that kind of got further away and then got closer that didn't fit. And so his conclusion was that they must have a different center. And the term he used for them is they were eccentric. Their center was different. And I thought, that is a perfect description of us. We're eccentric. I mean, that's what we're called to be. We understand the center of the world because it's just so prominent. The center of our culture is, how do I make myself happy? I have to be true to myself. Everything we see in terms of like, whether it's Disney movies or in terms of the ads, everything is, is communicated to orbit around you. That's the center, right? And, and yet, that's not the center of this strange community of the way that we are supposed to be. I mean, what does our passage say? Our passage says that our desire is to grow up into our Lord Jesus, that he becomes more and more who we are. Paul says, you have one Lord. In other words, we aren't our own. We don't belong to ourselves. That's weird. That's a different center. We are eccentric. Now, I will say that is something that it is easy for us as a community to forget. Any community, I'm not just talking about us. Out of a desire, I think sometimes Christians have to be able to communicate well to the world around them. There are ways that we unintentionally can sometimes kind of reinforce the center of the culture in this world. Saying, you know, essentially, here's the thing. Jesus can actually help you satisfy yourself. That, that, that Jesus is the way for you to get a better family, the way for you to get a, a bigger bank account. Jesus is the way for you to be more awesome. Jesus is how you can serve you at the center of all things. And the moment we do this and we lose our eccentricity, we lose the capacity to help us live in this different way. The reality is the more that we are the community that we are meant to be, the stranger we will be. Because how we do things will be 
different, off-kilter according to the world. The way that we view marriage and, and parenting, the way that we treat our possessions, the way that we think of work and our dreams, none of them will really compute because our center is different. And at times that will be weird and at times that will be offensive because that's how culture clash sometimes works. But it is the only way, if we want to be a community where the way of Jesus is more possible, we need to be an eccentric community with our center being different. And the second thing our passage, I think, lays out for us is if we want to be this kind of community of wonder, we need to aim to be a community that is a body, not a business. So the church in the last hundred years, especially the American church, has taken a lot of cues from um, corporate culture in terms of how to grow and be successful. And so what you oftentimes will see, especially in larger churches, but it's not just in larger churches, the, the pastor is seen more like a CEO figure. Um, the congregation is kind of more like the customer. And the product, you can say, is what we preach in the community that we offer. And there's been a way we're taking some of that can sometimes be helpful. It certainly can seem to sometimes get more attendance. But here's the thing that oftentimes people don't think. The moment you import all of that, you are also importing a culture. And remember, culture is what we're talking about here. Think about this. If, if the pastor is the CEO, then he in some ways is more important and you need his performance. And, and if he is a performer, then you might be willing to overlook some less savory aspects of him. Or if the, if the congregation is the customer, the customer is always right and we need to organize it around whatever people think they want. And in corporate culture, it's not about individuals. It's about numbers. How many people do you get on a typical day and, and how much money are you getting? Do you see how if we import this idea of business, how it shapes us and moves us away from being a community in which the way of Jesus is more possible? But here we have a, a, a different metaphor where again and again in this first half of chapter 4 it's talking about this language of a body. And you see the difference here when it's talking about living as a body. Here there's not a CEO and people below. What you have is Jesus and Jesus is the head and everyone else is of equal importance. At the very end of, was it verse 16, it talks about from whom, that is Jesus, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. So each part needs to work. There is this kind of, I mean the body all works together and every part is important. It's not this top down, it's Jesus and the body. It's a very different model. And, and, and while growth is spoken of here, it's not growth in terms of, of numbers and efficiency and dollars. What's the growth? It's growth in maturity. That, that as a congregation, we might increasingly look more like Jesus. That's, that's the thing that we are pursuing. And, and, and the way that this community works is not through commerce and exchange and financial back and forth. What is the center of this? It talks about it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That as each part is working, showing love to the other, there is a growth and a maturity that a body shows. It's a very different kind of community we're talking about here. So, so this is what it looks like to be a community in which the way of Jesus is more possible, a community that's weird, a community where each person is important following Jesus, a community that's characterized by love. And I realize this probably feels abstract. Thankfully, Paul starts giving us some greater details. If you, if you look later on in, in verse 
27 and onwards, he, he starts talking like some specific ideas. He talks about people who have a problem with stealing. He said, some of you might have been thieves before. And that makes sense in the previous way of life. But now in this community characterized by the love of Jesus, instead of taking, you are called to work so that you can give. Some of you formerly are people who were had an easy time gossiping or being critical to kind of lift yourself up and to bring other people down because that made sense in your former way of life. But here in this community of love, I want you to speak words that only build each other up and encourage. Some of you in your previous way of life, when you were hurt, you held on to it because you knew something wrong had happened and you were bitter and there was just kind of this maliciousness. But here in this community of love, because of the way that God has loved you, I invite you to show forgiveness and kindness to others. Each of these instructions we've probably all heard before. If you've ever been in church, these are the kinds of things that we regularly hear. But what I'd like us to think about is how each of those has this kind of collective communal effect. So imagine if you are part of a group of people where stealing is kind of common. If you have people over your house, you're suddenly being much more protective, you're being much more watchful, you're being much more suspicious, right? That's not good for a community. But imagine on the other hand, you have a community that is characterized by overwhelming gentleness, uh, uh, generosity. Where, where you know people who are working even extra hours specifically because they want to be able to provide for other people who, who right now don't have enough. And you see this, this giving and this generosity. How does it affect you? Suddenly you want to give more, partly because you know that if for some reason you're ever in need, they'll take care of you. It changes things. Or if you're in a community where there's a lot of people being critical, where, where gossip is common, how, how does that change how you are in that community? I mean, at least for me, I, I, I want to be very private. I'm not going to share anything because I know that if I do, it will just kind of open things up for being hurt. But if you are in a community where there is just this constant expression of kindness and love, where people recognize each other and speak about how they see something in the other person that they admire, how does that happen? It just, it opens us up and suddenly we're willing to speak more vulnerably and openly and there's more connection. Or if you're in a community where there is just people holding on to recollections of things that even happened years ago that they're still bitter about. It can just make everything feel cold and heavy and, and lifeless. But if you are in a community where, where forgiveness is the norm, where, where grace is being shown, then, then there's this freedom and this ability sometimes to even risk and fail and apologize and love. Now, do you see how each of these, with these changes of generosity and, and speaking, building each other up and kindness, how each of them build on each other more and more? That's, that's what Paul has in mind here. What he is saying is, as we all work together and all contribute in these ways where we're showing the love of Jesus to each other, it makes it easier for each of us to do the same. As you serve me, you help me to see more about what it looks like to serve. And then I can serve you more ably, helping you. And together, we make the way of Jesus seem more possible to each other. Let me try to even give it even more of a concrete way. This is just kind of imaginary story, but imagine, imagine something like this. Imagine um, a young mom 
has been having such a hard time bringing her kid to nursery because he has separation anxiety. But she finally one day comes down, brings this somewhat crying kid, and is just completely reassured by two just really generous, loving nursery attendants that clearly care about the child. And she is able to walk into church without being distracted. And as she's actually in the church service, there's this moment where the singing kind of breaks through. Something about the way it's sung, but also the power of the words. And, and in her weariness, it seems like in some ways the reality of God's grace just kind of breaks through and she can see again. And her life is a little bit less cloudy. And that gives her kind of a certain energy and kind of presence of self. So that, that evening at community group, she hears this other couple and they're talking a little bit about their struggles with infertility, kind of vulnerably, but she recognizes something else. She can hear that as they're talking, there's just these signals that makes her a little bit concerned that she can tell there's some real tension within their marriage. So later on, she talks to her husband and they decide to take this other couple out for dinner. And over burgers and shakes in a booth, they start talking and and there is open conversation, and there's tears, and there's prayers. And for this couple who has been struggling with infertility, it feels just a little lighter. It feels like God has been answering prayer in this very moment. And they decide to have dinner again in a few weeks, and then again in a few weeks. And, and this couple who's been struggling with infertility over a course of, of months and even years begin to, to process their grief and their marriage is strengthened, and, and, and they never actually have kids. But instead, as they are experiencing the love of God through these other ways, they desire to reflect that, and so they in some ways become spiritual parents to, to many of the kids in the congregation. They, they open their homes, they become this place of hospitality and warmth for a number of kids, including even that kid who once was this little kid who couldn't get into nursery, but now is a teenager and is trying to figure out who he is and is needing some sort of picture, and now he sees people who are following the way of Jesus, and that looks right and it becomes more believable. Now what I'm trying to say here is, or just imagine what we're talking about here. What, 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 on one hand, what we can say is in this story, Jesus is at the center of all of it. Jesus is the one who gave kind of this generous spirit to the nursery attendants. He's the one who kind of broke through in the, in the cloudiness during the middle of the song. He's the one who answered prayer. He's the one who's strengthening. And yet each person whether we're talking about the people working at nursery, the leading music, the couples who are caring for each other, each person plays this significant role. And through each contribution, Jesus' love becomes more real and people are able to experience it from within and the way of Jesus becomes more possible. And I want to suggest that is what Paul is saying. If, if we want to grow if we want to learn the way of Jesus, we do it together like this. I want to just point one other thing out. I, I'm not sure if I were at a different church, I would have used that same kind of scenario. Because I think in some congregations, that just would have rung false. Like, sure, that's a great coincidence. And, you know, if people were willing to be as vulnerable as that couple is when they're talking about their struggles, and if another couple was really willing to kind of spend some time like that, and if all these things happened, that'd be great, but that just feels like fantasy land. But I don't have a problem talking about something like this to this congregation because I have seen those very things here. And so my point in that is just saying it's already happening. 
Do you see that, that God is already at work in this congregation through each other, helping us to begin to imagine different ways? That there's already a culture at work in this community that is opening for us different pathways where the way of Jesus becomes more possible. And all I'm wanting to do this morning is just encourage us to keep going. To encourage us to continue to move in that direction and think about how, how we live and how we love might be able to help each other to live and to love. If you have been with us for many years, you know what this is like. If you're new, I would invite you to join in with us because this is how we grow together. And even now, as we uh, kind of come to an end, I invite us to just kind of collectively do this through prayer. Each of us has ways, I think, where we turn away from each other, where we can sometimes make it more difficult for others to see Jesus. And so it's right for us to recognize those things and to acknowledge those things in confession. But then also to pray for ourselves and for each other that we might be a community in which this way of wonder is something that we can imagine more clearly.